Hey, uh, so we start our Advent series today, which I've titled The Gift of God. And this morning, we are going to focus, as we sang about, God with us. And for those of you who are not familiar with the term Advent, who's familiar with Advent, the word Advent or term? Three of you. Awesome. Good, good. I'm glad I brought it up uh, because I want to alleviate any kind of confusion that you may have about this before we begin. I don't want anyone leaving uh, here going, you know, wow, they don't really celebrate Christmas at Crossway because we do. Uh, we just call it Advent. Referring to the season as Advent is just one of several ways that Christians distinguish the true meaning of Christmas, the Christmas season, from the secular uh, meaning of Christmas. And so the word Advent comes from the Latin, which means coming. Advent means coming. Advent is when we celebrate every year like a rhythm. We celebrate the coming of Christ as a humble and meek baby. And, uh, and it reminds us also every year that Christ has promised to come again in justice and in power. And he will right every wrong when he comes again. So as we are celebrating that he has come, he has kept his promise, he will keep his promise in the future. And so this is why we do this every year. So if you have your Bibles, grab them, open them up to the gospel according to Matthew. I encourage you guys to bring your Bible every week so you can know where we're headed. Maybe you want to skip around a little bit and make sure that we have what's on the screen actually right. So let's read Matthew chapter 1. We are going to start in verse 18. And we're going to take it down to 25 today. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray. Emmanuel, we love you. Emmanuel, we thank you for coming to be with us, for speaking and talking to us, and we pray that you would talk to us right now. God, I pray that your voice would be clean, it would be clear, you'd remove distractions, gather up all the thoughts that are clanging around our head, and help us hear you, God, today. We pray that you would uh, bless us with your word. 
You give light. You give understanding. You give illumination because we need you to even help us understand what you are saying. And we know that you love to do that. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Everyone, regardless of religious beliefs, seems to bemoan the fact that Christmas gets so commercialized. Every year I hear that. I'm actually one of the guys who does that. That's why I hear that. Uh, Maybe you're like that too. It seems like the advertisements, the discounted products, the little LED uh, twinkle lights, they seem to come out every year earlier and earlier. I think Lucy, remember Lucy from the Peanuts Gang? I think she had it right when she said, hey, listen, Charlie Brown, let's face it. We all know that Christmas is just a big commercial racket. Bah humbug. That's Lucy. But it feels that way, doesn't it? But something else happens at Christmas time that's a little more subtle. It flies a little bit more under the radar. Sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. Christmas seems to be sentimentalized a little more year after year, especially the older that we get. What I mean is that Christmas can be more about keeping up highly personalized rituals that make us feel good or they make us feel nostalgic about the past, putting up old ornaments, listening to Bing Crosby, singing White Christmas, drinking from a favorite mug we only get out at Christmas. And when we're missing loved ones from our lives and from our homes, It can be even easier to cling to those old comforts to satisfy those real longings and deep longings that we have in our heart. And so Christmas for us can sometimes be more about creating and crafting everything to create this sentimental feeling to get us through the next few weeks. And so we need to start with this truth, family. Christmas is far more than that. It's more than a feeling. It is celebrating an incredible fact, an incredible fact of history, the coming of God in flesh for us. And we must never allow this absolutely radical, unprecedented, unparalleled event to be sentimentalized in our minds. We can't let the incarnation become the equivalent to us as the feeling we get when we drink hot cocoa with marshmallows on top. It's more than that. I mean, as good as that is, it's a lot more than that, guys. The birth of Jesus tells us that God came near us. God came near us because we needed a Savior. Check this out in verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Unlike all those temporary manifestations of God on the earth in times past, in generations past, like when he'd meet with people in a cloud, remember that? Or in a burning bush, like with Moses, or in a tent or through a vision, Jesus became the fixed and permanent dwelling of God on earth. The incarnation is the fullness of God coming near us in a way that we could behold, get this, for the first time without being afraid. God came to earth as a baby. It was the first time. He didn't say, don't be afraid. They could see God, perceive God, Know God, hear God, without being afraid. I want you to get this, guys. The God of light 
We went through a whole series in, in 1 John, right? God of light, the God of all truth, the God of all life that exists, the God that created the universe and everything in it came down to us through Jesus Christ so that we could belong to him and with him forever and ever without end. What makes this so wonderful is the fact that we have this natural proclivity to separate ourselves from our creator. Amen? We just have this natural, like oil and water separate. That's kind of like us and God. We just have this natural tendency, this bent deep within us of distrusting God. Distrusting him, trying to find our own separate way to live. But since God is the only source of life, and there is no life apart from him, this, this only ends in one conclusion, doesn't it? Chaos and ultimately death. And that's the world we live in. You look around. We live in that kind of a world right now. There is a darkness in the world around us that's ruling our cities, ruling our nations. It's what causes people to want to make war. It causes people to want to steal. It causes people, one group, to want to oppress another group and think lowly of other group of people. This is chaos and death. On an individual level, level, there's chaos inside each and every one of us with a stream of message that just plays over and over in our minds. It says, I'm not good enough. I'm not attractive enough. I'm not strong enough. Not man enough. And it replays over and over in our mind. All these th things, these thoughts bring death to our soul and to the people that are around us, the people that we know and bump into and work with. Christmas confronts us with an uncomfortable truth, family. We live in a world of chaos and ultimately in death because that's the way we've made it. That's the way we've made it. We've turned our back on the one that gives life, and we've tried to make saviors for ourselves out of things that cannot possibly save us, like wealth, like pleasure, trying to find the next whatever high, fun weekend, the perfect relationship, someone to love me. And we try to fashion saviors out of things that cannot save us. And this is only served to make matters worse for us. But Christmas also confronts us with a wonderful truth. And we need to hear this. God saw the mess we made by turning away from him. He saw that we could not find him because we had so injured ourselves in our sin. We so blinded ourselves in our sin. And he saw, look, they can't find me. They can't see me. They can't get out of this mess. And God decides to come and pursue us and step down into the mess that we made. Peace with him and peace with one another and peace within ourselves is ours now through what happened at Christmas. Look at Ezekiel 34. The prophet said this. This, is, this was hundreds and hundreds of years ago before Christ was born. For thus says the Lord God. So this is God talking. Behold, I, and then he says it emphatically. I myself. I, I myself. Not a representative, not a substitute, nothing, not something that's close to me, but I, God, the chief one. Okay? I myself will search for my sheep. And will seek them out. As the shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek 
out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured. That's those that are hurting. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. It's what God has promised to do. Fast forward a few hundred years. God has done this in Jesus Christ. The historical birth of Jesus declares that God has come looking for you and me. God's come looking for you and me. Religion says, here's how you climb out of your broken mess. Step one, two, three. Here's what you do to get out of your mess that you made. Here's how you reach wholeness. Here's how you reach paradise and perfection. The gospel says good news. God has bothered to climb down into the mess you made and bring you peace. Isn't that great? Wow. Christmas declares that God pursued us. God initiated. God went looking for us in the dark where we were sitting and living. God went and looked for us. He crossed every chasm. He traveled the greatest distance imaginable. He confronted every high obstacle that lay between us and him so that he might bring us to, us, might bring us to him and live with him forever. That's what he did for us. I like how the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard describes what happens here in the, in the incarnation. He says, when it was a question of a sinner, God does not merely stand still, open his arms and say, come here. Now that's pretty good. But God doesn't do that. No. He goes to seek the sinner as a shepherd sought the strayed Sheep, that's Ezekiel 34 he's referencing. As the woman sought the lost penny. He walks, but no, he has walked, but infinitely farther than any shepherd and any woman indeed. He walked the infinitely long way from being God to becoming man. He walked that way in order to save sinners. This is what we celebrate at Advent Crossway. Through the incarnation, God came into the cold. God came into the darkness. He walked right into hunger, into thirst, into weakness to find us. Think about that for a second. This is why we burst into songs about Emmanuel at Christmas. God, God, has come to be with us. The incarnation also teaches us that God came as us. God came as us because he loved us. Look at verse 21. She will bear a son. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As incredible it is that our Creator would want to come near us, what is even more incredible is that our Creator would come as one of us. Infinite knowledge, infinite power, infinite love, absolute holiness, 
absolute truth, unstained purity, all crammed into a human body and brain for 33 years. How do you do that? That's incredible. That's majestic. The only way that God could save us from our sins was to literally become one of us. And that's the only way that Christ's blood on the cross pays for this penalty of our sins. That's the only way that sin's power over us is broken for you and for me. He must be an exact representation of us in every way for his atonement to apply to you and me, for it to be real. Something that is like a man won't cut it. Okay? The blood of animals won't work because that's subhuman. The life of an animal, I should say. The life of of an angel, the life of a spirit, that won't work because that's superhuman. It's got to be human. He must be fully man, yet without sin. What a humbling thing for the creator of the universe to experience. You thought about that? That he would encounter, that he would experience what it's like to be a human. To be born from the body of a woman and go through that traumatic kind of experience, really. To temporarily temporarily limit his power, to temporarily limit his glory for our sake. That's pretty amazing. Yet he freely chose to do this for us because he loves us. Think about that. God chose to subject himself to the humility of needing to have his diaper changed by a human. Think about it. Needing to be swaddled tightly and held for hours as he cried so that he could fall asleep. The very fact that he would need to fall asleep for the first time in his existence. He knows what that feels like. He understands that. Needing someone to bathe him because he's filthy. A human to do this. (laughs) Depending on Mary's breast to feed him in the middle of the night so that he would survive. God experienced weakness, family. God experienced defenselessness. It doesn't get any more defenseless than an infant, does it not? I can't do a thing. They need help in everything. God experienced growing up the absurdity of obeying his earthly mother and father when they told him to do his chores, say his prayers, and make sure you're home for Sabbath. Yes, Mom, I will obey. I will obey you, human mom, though I created you. That's absurd that he would choose to do that. Navigating the awkwardness of puberty. Growing up. I think about the Almighty experiencing for years and years all the things that we experience as humans and something inside of me says, no, that's not right. Not my God. Not my God. He's too good for that. That's too disrespectful. That's too humiliating for God. He shouldn't have to experience any part of being a human for even a moment. He's too regal for that. 
The incarnation, guys, is not cute. Please do not think that's cute when you sing Away in the Manger or Silent Night. Do not think that is cute. Think that's costly. That's why we sing that song. It cost him to do that. Yet God experienced it all and more. You see, the incarnation was just the precursor for the crucifixion, was it not? I mean, it even says it in Matthew. He hints at it. He came to die. The angel told Mary, hey, this sword's going to pierce your heart, mama. He came to die. He didn't come to live a long life. On the cross, Christ experienced immense nakedness, weakness, coldness, struggle, and pain. And not just physically, but through all of our sins come crushing down on him and the wrath of God being absorbed. That was it. Why, why would he put himself through all of that? Why would he put himself and subject himself to all of that? Because God loves you and God loves me. Like God actually loves us. That's why. Only a God who loves you and I would bother to subject himself to that. If he was a God of moralism, he wouldn't do that. He'd say, here's what you need to do to come get to me. And if he was a God of relativism, he said, just do whatever you want. But he's neither. And so he did that because he loves you and me. So that's what the incarnation means. It means God came near us and God came as us. Now, what do we do with that? How do we respond to such love and such sacrifice? Well, we're told in the last two verses here in Matthew. We receive him as he is. We receive him as he is. Verse 24 and 25, when Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph, or God tells Joseph through the angel to go through with the wedding and to name the baby boy that they're going to have Jesus. And the scripture says that Joseph obeys God. He names the boy Jesus. Now, he's not the father, right? God was a father. He says, conceived of the Holy Spirit. But he's going to be your son. Interesting, huh? Do you realize what's going on here? If you sat down and just thought about it for maybe 30 seconds longer, this is very interesting. It's a pretty big deal, actually. Joseph, the husband, gave up his right as a husband. He gave up his right, and he gave up the privilege of naming his own son. Think about that. He received the name of Jesus from God. And by calling the boy by the name that God gave him, Joseph received Jesus as his own son. When he calls him Jesus, okay, that's my boy. That's my son. He's part of my family. The deep irony in this story is that in jo Joseph adopting Jesus into his family, Jesus was actually adopting Joseph into his family. Isn't that crazy? That's like good crazy, isn't it? 
You see, when, uh, this is interesting. When we found out that we were pregnant, Vanessa and I, we spent a whole lot of time picking out the names. Going, you know, you go through the you go through the name book and the baby book and all that stuff. And what's this mean? And what's the you know etymology? And we really got into it. We we didn't want to name our kids that just names that just kind of sounded cool. You know, when you're in your 20s, you want to name your kids something that's kind of cool and unique. And that's great. But that wasn't like the main thing. We wanted their names to mean something. We wanted their names to actually mean something, that their names will actually say something about the course of their life. And maybe a little bit of the hopes of their parents rolled in there too, I'll be honest. All right? We do that, don't we, moms and dads? We do. It's an unbelievable act of authority to name another human. Have you thought about that? I'm naming you, and you don't get to pick that. I'm calling you this, and that is what it will be. To name a human, wow. You're literally giving them identity. You're saying this is who you are and this is who you will be. And they don't get a vote in it. They just kind of wake up and go, that's the name I always answered to. The angel tells Joseph, you don't get to name Jesus. You receive his name. And God tells us the same thing, Crossway. We don't get to name Jesus. If we're going to get God with us, we don't get to name Jesus. We give up that privilege to get God with us. Jesus doesn't work for you. You know what I'm saying? Like Jesus isn't your life coach, okay? To, to, to help your portfolio, to help your career, to help your marriage. He, he doesn't work for you. You don't get to name him my life coach, my marriage counselor. My, you don't get to put that name on him. You don't, get to accom- he d- you don't make him accommodate himself to your idea for his purpose of existing. He came with a name already, and he came with a purpose already. His name is Jesus. And the Greek translation of that word is Yeshua, which means salvation. God saves. His purpose is going to save his people from their sins. Matthew's pretty explicit about that. That's who he is, and that's his purpose in life. That's why he came. To truly receive Jesus, we must stop trying to name him and call him by the name that God has said his name is, his actual name. If Jesus is Savior and he has come to save people from their sins, then what does that make you and I? It makes us sinners. I know it's hard to say that word, isn't it? I don't like it. That's why we say it. That's who we are. See, not only do we not get to name Jesus, but Jesus, by the fact of his very birth, names us. In a way, doesn't he? Only sinners actually need a Savior. Pastor Timothy Keller says this about the name of Jesus. He says, you can't know Jesus personally unless... You have the courage to admit that you're a sinner. And not everyone has this courage. He says, if you're willing to say, I'm a moral failure. I don't love God with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. I don't love my neighbor as myself, and therefore I'm guilty and need forgiveness and pardon before I need anything else. It takes enormous courage to admit these things because it means throwing your old self-image out and getting a new one through Jesus Christ. You see, until we're willing to admit this, we cannot have Jesus. He's not ours. 
We cannot truly and personally have Jesus until we realize that, guess what? We actually need him. And we need him as a savior. We need him as a savior, specifically. And by the way, for those of us who are Christians, we never stop needing Jesus as a savior. We never get too good for that. Romans 13, 12 says this, The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness. Let's cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. So where do we get the courage to admit that we're a sinner? Where do we get that, guys? Like, like, where do we get the courage to admit that we have darkness that we need to cast off? And that we need a Savior? Well, it's by looking at the incarnation. It's by looking at the birth of Jesus Christ. Look at the humiliation. Look at him stepping down into darkness. Look at him stepping down into your neighborhood and my neighborhood as us, near us. Look at him suffering even at the cross. That's where he's going. God chose to do this to come be with you so that you could be with him forever and ever. Jesus was willing to clothe himself in our humanity to bear our sins so that we could clothe ourselves in his perfect righteousness so that we'd have clothes to wear. We look at the incarnation. I want to encourage you guys to look at the incarnation, the birth of Jesus this week. Like, like bring it up in your conversations. Talk about it. The birth of Christ is the love of God put on display for you and for me. Let the love of Jesus draw out of you the courage you need to receive him as your Savior and to receive him as your King. That's where it comes from. I love you guys. I want to pray. Ah, oh, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for coming near us and coming as us to save us, to give us a new life, new desires, new wants, and eternal life with you forever. Thank you the distance that you traveled. Thank you for the humility that you endured to be with us so that we could be with you forever. God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, you'd change our lives right now and this week, and that you would help us be in awe of you. In Jesus' name, amen.